This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. And before we get started today, I want to invite you to subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's right. After years of neglecting this very precious real estate on the Internet, I am committing to producing content over there. The easiest way to find me over on YouTube is go to my website, Mr productivity.com m-i-s-t-e-r mrproductivity.com scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see the youtube logo there just click it and subscribe and you will get exclusive content that i'm going to be putting on the youtube Claudia Miller is a career coach who helps career-driven professionals get the jobs they want at salaries they love, even up to $50,000 in salary increases. She's been featured in Forbes, MSNBC, and Business Insider, named her one of the top 23 most innovative career coaches of 2020. Claudia, welcome to the show. Yes, I'm excited to be here, especially about the topics we'll be discussing today. Yeah, because what's interesting about having you on the show is I kind of believe that the way people approach their careers was a little differently until March 2020 happened. And then the world got flipped upside down. Some people adjusted pretty well. Some people were like, oh, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. So walk us through What did you see in terms of careers, in terms of people's jobs when COVID started? Let's let's start the conversation there. Yeah. So a lot of companies, um, clearly, there was just every we didn't know what was going to happen. There wasn't a lot of confidence in the market itself. A lot of things just got shut down. So a lot of companies started laying off employees. And um, you know, one of the things that you know people were worried about is, well, where do I go next? Am I even going to be able to find a job? And now, fast forward a few, you know, almost a year later, and now it's a employee-dominated market where employees now have more leverage, where companies are looking to retain their employees. Um, another thing that I've seen is that a lot of companies now are almost setting up new employees to fail at this point. So that's why I always say to be weary of where you go into your next role or the company you go into, because a year ago or so, some of these companies maybe used to have a team of 10 laid off half the staff. And now they want you to come in and manage a team of five, but they still want you to do the same output as if they had a team of 10. They're not giving you additional resources. Oh, and we also laid off this department. So I know you do operations, but we're kind of want you to do sales as well. And for this price and a lot of candidates, you know, especially with um, clients that I only work with resumes, so they're not working with everything with me. They'll come back and tell me, Claudia, I absolutely hate this job. It is not what they intended or what it was discussed in the interview or in the job description. Um, I literally am. There's no way I, they couldn't even attain these goals when they had a full team. I'm not even giving all the resources, but I also don't want to go back to my previous job. And I don't know if I should have to like just withstand this job for the next year so I don't look like a job hopper and all these other questions and dilemmas happening because of what is um, like so the situations that some of the companies are in. But, um, you know, in the other hand, too, like I said, it is a very employee dominated market where now companies are providing like retainment bonuses. And this is like the first time I really heard about this. But in, what it means is 
if you were to sign up with a company and stay with a year and do as what you're hired to do and don't leave, we'll give you another additional bonus just for staying with us because there's a lot of um, employees now, you know, looking to jump ship, changing industries, going to better companies um, and all that sorts. Well, I got a couple of questions here I, that came from what you just said, but I want to ask you about something I've been seeing a lot talked about on LinkedIn. That is ghosting. What are your thoughts on ghosting? Because apparently it's a really heated discussion on like LinkedIn and places like that because it is a horrible thing. So what are your thoughts on it? Well, first of all, t- for the benefit of the listener who doesn't know what it is, because some people go like Casper the ghost. No, we're not talking about haunted stories here. So what is ghosting and what are your thoughts on ghosting? So ghosting um, can come from two different ways. More than likely, it's the candidate's a you know, interviewing through the process, and it could be the first round of interviews when it's typically with someone within HR, or it could be almost to the final round saying, hey, Mark, I think you're great. Um, you'll be hearing from us, you know, next week, Tuesday. And it's been three weeks now, and I haven't heard, you know, you haven't heard from me. I haven't reached out. And you're wondering, well, what happened? I, I thought they liked me. I made it all the way to the final round. Um, I sent my thank you emails, and everything was perfect. And I haven't even heard back, not even a, sorry, Mark, it's just not going to work out or we have to go with another candidate. So a lot of employees now, you know, it's, it's very disheartening because sometimes they even have like seven to nine interviews or even 12 interview rounds where it's taking months. Um, And to me, sometimes like that could be a red flag where the company doesn't, if you need to have 12 interviews or so, unless it's like high level executive, but other than that, if it takes 12 rounds, then that kind of gives me red flags of the company, whether they have a horrible hiring process or this is not a priority or this role is not a priority for them, along with like a long laundry list of things. But that's what ghosting is. And I definitely feel that it's very disrespectful, especially to someone that's already invested so much time, has gone through rounds of interviews. I mean, even even if we were to stay a little bit more... Um, secure of saying, okay, maybe you even only had four interviews. On average, that's half an hour each. That's two hours that this candidate spent on the interview process, not even talking about what they did to prepare for that interview. Um, And they probably had to add some wiggle room before and afterwards. Maybe they had to take some time off or work around some meetings and daycare and all, you know, kids are, you know, more at home. So it's just a lot of time invested and then to make it to that round and never hearing back, even if, uh, sorry, Mark, it's just not going to work out. Uh, we had to go with another candidate. I thought they were great. Here's kind of like my feedback or we were really looking for someone with this background and this person just was, had a stronger background than you did. But even that information would be really helpful and they're not even doing it at this point. Um, and I believe you know, there's technology. So, you know, you have email, you get autoresponders, you can send an instant text out. And just, I think if you just close that loop and say, look at, you know, we decided to go in another direction. I think that would, you know, help make people feel better. But I mean, I see it talked about all the time on LinkedIn and people, a lot of recruiters, I follow a lot of recruiters because they're friends of mine and they're like, this just drives them crazy. So I want to, I want to also talk about the multiple interviews. I remember when I first moved down to Houston, Texas, back in 1997, I went to a full day of interviews at a company. Now, this wasn't for a C-suite job. This was for, you know, a regular job. We'll just say a regular job. You know, I don't remember exactly what it oh, was. Probably had, had something to do with inventory management. And I had to do a whole day, get there at like the crack of dawn. 
And then I had to go, okay, we had the orientation and then we went to this department, this department, this department. And I remember saying to myself, everyone was friendly. They're all like, it's a great environment. You look like a great candidate. You answered all the questions right. And then we didn't call it ghosting back then because remember, we're going back to 1997, 1998. But it was a waste of my time. I literally wasted six hours at the company interviewing. Plus, it was 45 minutes to get there, 45 minutes to get back. That was a whole day. And at the time, I didn't have a job. And so I couldn't look for no job at that time. And I'm like, at the end, when I finally got a hold of someone, it was like a week or two later, they're like, yeah, we want another direction. I'm like, wow, that was, you know, I remember thinking to myself, it was kind of rude and disrespectful for me because the people who are interviewing me were getting paid. I wasn't getting paid. And I don't know what the solution to that is, but I thought it was very, um, very rude to do that. Now, again, like you said, if you're talking about a C-suite, that's different. Or you're talking about someone who has a lot of responsibilities, that's fine. But for most people, I'd say 80 to 90%, I don't think these all-day interviews are really, I don't see the point of them. I agree. And some of them will even have you do a presentation. So, you know, here's kind of like a case study, or we need you to create a presentation on A, B, and C. So not only are you delivering or providing free work, having to do research with very limited information, then you go in for that one day and sometimes they'll even schedule over lunchtime. So you're hoping your stomach isn't growling during these interviews, then doing the presentations and then not to hear back. Or, you know, it's just, I think that the, there's a lot of areas of improvement with the hiring process. I know it's not something that's easy or that will quickly come up with an answer, but it's definitely not the way that it's currently going employees or candidates should not be spending that much time for a job that they haven't even hired for, especially if it's not even at executive C-suite lever or high responsibilities. And having more consideration of people's times and just letting them know. I think that even if they were to say, you know, like I said, give them feedback on what exactly it is, not just sugar fluff or we're saying, well, Mark, we just went with another candidate. Why? Like, can you tell me a little bit more? Is it my background? Is it my skill set? Is it because I, you needed more networks for this role to be successful? Can you give me a little bit more explanation so I can know what I can do or maybe not apply to these roles because there's a huge um, skill gap? Can you tell me a little bit more, especially if they even made it to that close to that final round? I think that would be very useful for candidates. Um, and then I, I, I think that even the increase in ghosting has um, definitely multiplied during these past few months because a lot of companies are just jumping. A lot of employees are jumping ship and they're realizing that how they really paid attention to how their company reacted during COVID. Did they make them come into work, even though that, you know, um, they were saying not to come into the office or they didn't have, they just disregarded the fact that now they have to take care of their kids while still working. And they just weren't very understanding that, you know, a lot of my 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 clients have said, "Well, you know what? I thought I was okay in my job. I was never happy, but I didn't hate it. But honestly, the way that my company acted these past few months, I I want to go somewhere else. I want to go better with the work uh, work life balance. I actually got a lot of work done with, during working from home. Or my job doesn't necessarily need to go into the office. I'd rather spend time with my children. So that's why it's just." a lot more open positions. That means recruiters and HR people have to hire for more roles. So now their bandwidth or their workload has increased. Um, and you know, even the companies have not even provided them additional resources or they even laid off people on their team. So it's just uh, 
like everything all at once. It's like the perfect storm of like, you know, both on the candidate side, from the company side and the HR recruiter side, because they're also employees as well. They're only doing what they can at most, but sometimes they're not even able to succeed and be able to provide that feedback. Is it a fair assessment to say that pre-COVID it was an employer market? Because you mentioned it's an employee-dominated market now. So before COVID hit, it was an employer-dominated market? Hey, you, listening to the Mark Strzyczewski podcast, thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate it. But are you a Mark Strzyczewski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter, and you can sign up right now by going to MrProductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, MrProductivity.com. In comparison to what it is now, yes. I always say, even if it's like a, no matter what's happening in the market, there's always jobs out there. Now, the level that it is right now, it's definitely more than usual, um, especially with, you know, companies providing more, you have more leverage as an employee at this point where, you know, especially if you're talented, have the skill set. Now, companies that have been ahead of its time or been very um, aggressive or within the market, they're doing really well because they're getting a lot of these, you know, well-talented employees and they're offering, like I said, extra bonuses that they didn't have to do while they're companies where they're known to pay less. It's hard for them to compete at this point because there's such a huge delta before even COVID and now has it increased even more and they don't even have the resources to even have like work from home or just the infrastructure to have the workload being done remotely that they're falling behind. And those are the companies that, you know, will say, Hey, we'll offer you everything. You don't even have to do that. But once you start work there, then all of a sudden you realize that the writing is in the wall. You need to get out of there as soon as possible. And now you understand why the role was um, open. Now you said you help people with resumes. Is that correct? Yes. Now I have been seeing, on Instagram and on LinkedIn, that a lot of companies are getting away from resumes. Uh, one of the persons I follow, I really respect is Grant Cardone. He says, I never look at resumes. I want to know what you can do with me. Have you sold stuff before? So walk us through the role of resumes. Cause I'm 56 years young. And I remember when I first learned what a resume was, I'm like, what's a resume? No, it's not a resume. It's a resume. And so it has changed since I graduated college back at well, high school in 83 and college in 2001. Cause I went part-time. I don't want you th- people to think that I was, you know, <laughs> I was a slow student. I, I went part-time when I had a family. So what roles do resumes happen in the, I'm sorry, what roles do resumes have today in October, 2021? Well, definitely resumes are still needed kind of to Greg Cardone. He doesn't review resumes because it's looking for sales professionals or an aspect of sales. And he is, you know, the CEO, he'll make the final decision. So he can make that decision overall. But I mean, for most of us, you know, we're not going to be working or interviewing directly with like the CEO, especially companies at a very large level, like Amazon and Google and Facebook, you're just not going to get to that level. And, you know, if you're a software engineer, you know, they want to know, do you have all these coding? Do you have this background? Um, If you work within like as a data scientist um, or data analyst, and it's more um, like three to four years more experience. Resumes are still going to be needed. Now, is it going to be the sole indicator whether you get a job? No. And what I've always seen, even pre-COVID, 
where my clients have seen the most success, where they've made the most salary increases, have gotten the best offers, best experience, and the fastest hiring process has always been when they've already been referred or have someone within that network that's already in there. That's always been across the test of time, even before, you know, internet and everything, you would have to say like, hey, do do you know someone that's hiring? Oh, yeah, my dad or my dad's friend or my uncle. Why don't you talk to them? So the network is always going to be there. It will accelerate it. But the resume really now, it has to be more competitive than it usually is. Usually people can get, you know, interviews just by having an okay resume. And now because it is a lot more competitive, um, that's no longer going to be sufficient. That's why even I have my clients where they've had 15, 20 years of experience. They're really great and they can't even get interviews, even if they're making a lateral move and they they can't understand why. And then I look at their resume and I can see exactly why, where one, you didn't have a network, so you didn't have anyone advocating for you or bringing you in kind of like that VIP access to the interview process. So you're relying on this document to sell you and it's not doing a really great job. And if I read this, I wouldn't even give you an interview either. The reason being is because people tend to be very surface level. And what I mean by that is if you're a marketing manager, you can, you know, most people will say uh, manages campaigns to meet, meet business needs and generates leads. Okay, well, so do 250 other people that submitted resumes. I, why are you the best? Do you, do you not know that I'm hiring for marketing managers? You're competing with other marketing managers. Why are you the best? Well, because I created a marketing manager. So how I would rewrite that is, you know, um, developed a campaign strategy to promote um, life, you know, new product and within six months acquired or captured over uh, 2000 leads. And on average, they convert at 40%. Um, and I've created or built a pipeline of over a hundred million dollars. Okay, now I'm interested. I want to get to know you more. So that's where you need to understand that how can I stand out from the competition? I'm competing with other people with similar background and experiences. What is going to make me, what is my market differentiator that the company is going to want and want to bring me in? And then even just for a discussion. So that's where I feel like it's a lot more competitive now. So you do need to have a really good resume that can speak for you, especially if you don't have someone referring you. What about gap time? A lot of people were laid off during COVID, especially when COVID started. Now COVID's still going on, but people are going back to work. So when it comes to resume, what does the prospective person put on the resume when they were laid off? Because you don't want to like ignore it, right? I'm sure if there's a gap there, the employer is going to go, what happened? Yeah. Um, well, in that case, want to have a recommendation to go with a skills-based resume, especially if it's been like a year and a half. It's been two, three months. It's not that big of a deal. People understand COVID's happening, restructuring. You could always put restructured or acquired, um, let go due to COVID. You know, most people um, are very understanding of that. But if it's more like a year and a half at this point, maybe at the beginning of COVID, you know, March of last year, and it's now October, you know, now it's kind of like a longer time frame. I would advise with a skills-based resume, meaning you lead with your top your top skills that they're looking for. And towards the bottom, it's where you put your work history. Most people don't even look at the bottom of the resume. If anything, they'll look at the education saying, hey, did, she, did he or she go to my alma mater? But that's more for personal reasons. Uh, not necessarily because I'm going to read everything. We know that on average, they spend anywhere between six to eight seconds 
And half, most of that time is at the top half of the resume. So let's capitalize on that real estate location and focus on top transferable skills, the skills that are hardest to hire for, for this role. Let's put it front and center and give them a market differentiator and why we're the best along with like our biggest achievement that we know they be, that will pique their interest. And then I've had a client of mine where she was a stay at home mom for 15 years, couldn't get an interview because of that long gap. We worked on it, created a skills-based resume. She had interviews within three weeks and was hired within two months. Not once did they really – they all that we she focused on was on what she can bring to the company, and that's exactly what the company was looking for. Wow. Well, let's talk about some mistakes people make with creating a resume other than having an email address like hotfoxylady at hotmail.com. I mean, I hope everyone knows that you shouldn't have an email address like that. But what are some other common mistakes that you see when people come to you and you're like, oh, my goodness, it's another common mistake? Well, usually when it's 10 people with 10 to 15 years of experience, they have a biography instead of a resume. I literally just had a call with a client now who told me, you know, currently I have a six to seven page resume <laughs> and I couldn't understand why. Um, you know, I've, I've, I told them like for this point, you can look for a publisher if you want, because this is a book, no longer a resume. So people struggle with even two, three years of experience. They'll say, well, I have a three, four page resume. I want to make sure that I, I don't miss anything. And people have to remember the goal of the resume is to get you the interview. It's not there to uh, find you a life partner, which that's not even the right process to go to. <laughs> it's not there to tell them everything about you. It's, are you good enough? Do you seem to be a good person to work with? Do you seem like you're knowledgeable and will be a good fit for this role? And would you be able to, you know, kind of own this on your own where you don't necessarily need too much oversee? That's it. So if we know they're only spending six to eight seconds, you should not have a resume no longer than two pages. And even two pages, it can come here. There are some industries do require more information, especially the engineering, technical. Obviously, if you have ten year, more than 10 years of experience, you probably do need the second page. But that's more for ATS computer system, not necessarily because of the reader. So remember, the goal of the resume is to get you the interview, not to tell them everything. And a kind of like what I like to – how to explain this is – you know, now it's like online dating. It's not like you're going to put all your past relationships on an online dating profile. It's just absurd. The goal of the online dating profile is to get you a date, not to, you know, tell them about your whole life story and all the past relationships. Same thing with the resume. Um, the other thing that I see, again, kind of like very surface level, I've even had executives where they come to me and, you know, I will ask them, can you tell me a little bit more information about the background and what you do? And they'll tell me, you know, I, you know, I manage a team and I oversee this department. Okay. So what, 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 how is this? Can you tell me more? How big is your team? What is your personnel and operating budget? What was it before and afterwards? Did you have to do a restructure? Have you done an acquisition? Is this onshore or offshore employees? Um, when you say you're in charge of this department, what does that mean? Are you looking to, are you building it out? Are you growing it? Are you maintaining it? Are you building stronger relationships? So that way um, there's bigger deals that will be coming in the near future. Tell me a little bit more. Um, and people just sometimes can't even explain what they do. And if they can't explain what they do, then they clearly can't sell themselves, um, whether the interview or within the resume itself. So really having that understanding of what is the value you bring, what are some of those metrics? And if you can even 
you know, say like, oh, I, 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 you know, my, everyone always says, well, in my industry, my role, like there's no real metrics. And I always find metrics, even if it's like an engineer, a technical engineer role. Okay. So how many updates do you make? How long are your sprints? How many, like, how long does it take? What is the minimization of error? What is the user experience? How many people are utilizing this platform is, you know, what are the demographics within this platform? How long has it been live? Is it domestic internationally? You know, can you tell me a little bit more? So no matter what role you're in, I promise you, there's always metrics to measure. Does your to-do list have you overwhelmed? When you join my digital productivity coaching program, you'll learn how to get and stay focused, become untangled from the chaos of your to-do list, experience less overwhelm, and have time to do what you really want to do. Sign up today by clicking the coaching tab at mrproductivity.com. I once heard that the two questions everyone needs to ask themselves is who cares and so what? Yeah. If, if we just ask ourselves those questions, whether you're looking for a job, whether you're posting on social media, whether you're making a podcast episode, who cares? So what? It will take you very far. I'm still blown away at the six to eight seconds. I, I'm sure my listener is as well as they're listening to this podcast, six to eight seconds. And let's face it. If you've got a seven page resume <laughs> and no one's going to read that in six to eight seconds. And and to your point, they start at the very top and work their way down. But six to eight seconds, that's, that is insanely fast. Yeah. And, you know, what I hear from hiring managers is, you know, and some of them actually, you know, when I say six to eight seconds, it's more from the HR perspective where, you know, on average, every job posting out there has 250 applicants. This is actually a step pre-COVID. I don't necessarily, we don't know the stats yet, uh, but I'm bet to differ that it's a lot more now. But in order to stay conservative, 250 applicants per job posting. That includes LinkedIn, Indeed, all the platforms, plus website, all these applicants coming in. And from there, you know, they have that ATS system where it's filtering it. Then they'll pick maybe the top 15 to 20 resumes. And that's where it could be someone, an HR coordinator, sometimes an HR intern, depending how small or, you know, how the company is structured. And, you know, if you have a pile of 20 resumes, you're looking for any reason to toss them out and say, hey, I'm just trying to interview five or six. This person, you know, I even had one where like, this person is a UPS driver, but they're applying for a project manager. I'm not understanding the connection. Mm -hmm. I am not going to bother even looking lower than that. But most you know, people will put, well, yeah, I'm a UPS driver because, you know, what happened. But beforehand, I was a project manager overseeing multiple projects. Honestly, I'm not going to look past UPS driver. I'm just not going to see the connection. I'm going to toss out that resume. If um, it's very cliche where, like I mentioned, oh, I manage campaigns. Okay, toss that out. This person is actually giving me metrics. This other person, I'm just going to pull in the no pile. So they're looking to really go through this fast and depending, again, how big the company is, at times, um, HR people are can be hiring anywhere between 40 to 70 roles. So it's just a lot of work for them. Um, so I can really understand from their perspective of why to do things certainly because they're not enabled to succeed at this point. So that's when I mean four to six seconds. Now, when it goes to the hiring manager, now they might be able to spend more time on that resume um, or they may just not read it at all. If they ask you, you know, Mark, can you please walk me through your resume? Probably means they didn't even look at your resume at this point. So I always say, 
that's never entirely true. That doesn't come across for everyone because I do get hiring managers telling me, you know, I actually spend more time than six to eight seconds. I read them. Great. But that's by the time it gets to you. What about your HR person? What about that department? I bet you anything that they're just going through it really quick. Um, they sometimes don't read cover letters, but they do kind of um, hold it against you if you don't submit a cover letter. Um, so when they always say it's optional, it's never optional. Submit a cover letter. Um, they may not read it, but it does make you stand out as opposed to the person that didn't submit a cover letter. I, I'm laughing as you're talking there because I remember I haven't done a resume. I've been, I got fired from my job back in 2005. So I've been uh, an entrepreneur since then. But I remember someone was helping me way back in the early 2000s writing resumes and they would help me and say, well, you can't say that when you work in the warehouse as a small company and UPS come in and then you deliver the packages, say you're a distribution manager. I'm like, what? I No, you're distributing the mail, but we don't want to say deliver the mail. It doesn't sound right. And it never felt right with me because I'm like, come on, the HR people are going to know that I'm, I just, I'm the warehouse worker, but I know some people do that. And the, the one final question I want to ask you about before we get to the final, final question is lying on resumes. Now, right there, I, I would never even entertain that, but I know I've, I've seen it on LinkedIn. I've seen stories on other social media platforms. When you lie on a resume, you're putting yourself at big risk because if you're caught, you may have trouble getting a job anywhere else. So talk to us about, I mean, I know you're not going to say, yeah, lie on your resume, but talk to us about the whole concept of lying on your resume. Yeah, so I don't remember the specific stat, but I remember it's around the 70s where at least 70% of candidates tend to lie on their resume. Wow. So, you know, one of the things that I obviously don't lie, um, you know, and, and also you want to make sure this is a good fit for the role. If it's something like, yeah, uh, can you, if I'm applying for a CEO role that has over $40 million in sales, but I've only worked at a company making $100,000 in sales, well, I clearly don't want to lie because I'm set up to fail at this point and I'll be finding a job in the next two, three months. So I do want to make sure there is a fit um, and understanding that story. So for example, uh, one of the jobs that I applied to, it said nursing degree you know, required. And well, when, when networking, I realized that I don't really need a nursing degree for this. And I asked them, you know, at, towards the end, do you have any hesitations in me fulfilling this job successfully? And what they told me is, you know what, we're really looking for someone for, with a medical background, specifically nursing. And because I, I already acquired enough information and through my networking, you know, what I said is, you know, Mark, I definitely understand that. But based on what we discussed today, it sounds like more you're interested in improving the patient experience. I can give you that patient perspective because I don't have a medical background. Most of your patients don't either. So if I can't understand it more then also your patients won't be able to understand it. So if your really goal is to improve patient satisfaction, I know I'd be the best candidate for it because I can give you that pers patient perspective. I didn't lie that I had a, I mean, I had a, a background in public health policy and administration, but not nursing or anything clinical, but I did bring it up. It was the elephant in the room. I addressed it and I gave my side of the story and I got the job offer with a 30K salary increase. Wow. So it's really understanding that and you're better to be in that position if you do your work ahead of time. I would not have been able to come up with that uh, at such short notice. And, you know, I probably would have, you know, I probably said, oh, no, I, I totally understand. Or I've 
not even ask that question. So I do think that is really important. And around 80% or so of recruiters or HR people will look at your LinkedIn profile. So make sure your LinkedIn is optimized and it's prepared and branded for the role you want, not for the role you have. And if you don't even have a picture, I mean, just having a picture increases your likelihood of 14 times more of people looking at your profile. So really do make sure that those two match for job searching. So if you tell me in your resume that you manage a budget of $100 million, but you haven't even updated your LinkedIn and says you only manage $5 million, I'm, that's a red flag for me. Why is there such a discrepancy, especially when your LinkedIn profile is public, where you have more eyes on it and tends to be a little bit more truer than the resume that's sent in privately? So now I'm thinking either you're lying or you haven't updated this in a while. You know what? I'm just going to put you in the maybe pile. I'm going to focus more on Mark because his resume cover, uh, resume and LinkedIn do match. The numbers are there. And I have more trust in him than this person that there's just a huge delta there. So that will be my recommendation. Um, and there's, I know a lot of people will say, well, your LinkedIn shouldn't match your resume. For job searching, it should. Now, LinkedIn can be used in various forms, selling, thought leadership. Job searching, it should match. So put them at ease and then make it so easy for them to say, yes, I want to bring in Mark for an interview. Everything's matching. Like he's a really great candidate. He's standing out. He's very specific. I think he'll be a really good fit. Let me bring him in for that first initial call. And if he does well, then I'll, you know, move him along the interview process. Okay. I lied. I do have one other question for you. (laughs) These, these employers that when they post their job, because you, when you said about the nursing requirement, made me think about this and they're asking for everything, but the kitchen sink, they want a PhD. They want you to have a master's. They want you to speak 17 languages and write in six of them. Talk to us, talk to to us about, you know, employers like they, they obviously want this, all these candidates, but they really don't need all those qualifications. So talk to us about that. It's a wish list. That's really what it is. Um, and another analogy I like to use is, you know, when typically we get asked, like, what do you want in your partner? You would say, well, for me, we like tall, dark and handsome, funny, great cook, you know, can do all of these things. Now, my husband is amazing, but he's not a great cook, even though that was part of my list. And same thing, it's a wish list, but that doesn't mean that I still don't love him. Of course, I love him. He's a great partner. He's a great husband. Same thing with the job description. Sometimes they'll say, this this will be great, especially with a very low salary. Uh, we wish we, they can have all of this. But in reality, that's all it is. Um, what I would caution on, and even then, like I always like to look at stats and data. So you know, I was reading where 60% of employees said that what they do at work does not match what they do, what was said in the job description. And it's because it can change and transform. I'm sure co- before, you know, if you got hired pre-COVID, but you didn't start work until after COVID, I'm sure that that job changed a lot, especially if it was like in-person events. And, you know, what I will recommend, and this is just a good strategy to use is go through that job description, highlight in green what you do have, highlight in yellow where you kind of have experience, but you don't feel really confident. And then in red, what you don't have. Then when you start networking with people before the interview, Ask them, hey, Mark, by the way, I noticed that it said nursing requirement in this job description. Is that a deal breaker? Is that really important? And if so, what specifically about that experience is really going to help to do this job successfully? 
And if they say, well, you know, it's not really needed. I, I mean, you'll be working in a hospital setting. There's that learning curve. But for the role itself, you don't need that background. Oh, perfect. And why is it? What is actually skill sets that I should have? Well, or what is the hardest skill to hire for for this role? Well, you know what? We really need someone that can be a problem solver because we do with very or no budget. Um, that's really a great skill set because we want this person to be able to resolve these issues that you know the hospital is currently having, but we don't have a budget. So we need someone that's very resourceful. Perfect. And then that's when you can bring into that interview and lead with that. Address the elephant in the room because sometimes they might have it in their head. Well, Mark doesn't have this experience. And well, this person does have experience. Well, bring that up and say, hey, I don't have experience, but based on our discussion, you know, or based on your needs, it seems like you need more of this. And I know I'm great at this. And here's an example of that. So kind of go through that exercise to really help you with that. Don't be intimidated. Honestly, if you qualify for 40% on the job description, go ahead and apply. I mean, worst thing that can happen is you don't hear back. But I would say still apply. Like I said, I probably qualified 30 to 40% on that job description and still got the job and still got a salary increase and was still successful in that role. So it's really understanding that perspective. And another thing that I've seen because of COVID is some departments maybe have more budgets than others. So for example, sales departments or tend to have more budgets than you know admin and operations. So for one of my clients, they apply for the director of operations, but it was actually going to be bought or paid through the sales department. So they had to, the sales department had to put that job posting. So when he read it, he's thinking, oh, this is perfect. And then when he got into the interview, they said, well, actually, you know, we're paying through this department. So we actually need you to do more on these types of roles, more operations and admins. But we had to post that because the sales department, it'll be coming from their budget. So don't always rely on the job description. If you if you, if it's something that excites you for the most part and you feel like you qualify 34%, go ahead and apply and then gather that information through networking or through the interview process. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate everything you shared with us today. I know this is going to be an incredible, uh, helpful tool for those who are navigating and getting a job. So where can we go to find out more about you and what you're doing in the world? So they can go to my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. So Claudia, T as in Tom, Miller.com. And through there, I have a lot of resources, you know, for job seekers. I'm also big on salary negotiation where, you know, I've even helped clients get up to $100,000 in salary increases during COVID. So I'll be um, actually updating and I'll be releasing more information on like um, the salary negotiation scripts I give to my clients during the job offer process that's even gotten them anywhere between fifteen dollars to $25,000 more. Wow. All right. Well, I'm sure people will reach out to you because you just gave them a little taste of what you can do. You're a wealth of information. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thanks again, Mark. And I hope you know your listeners found this helpful <laughs> during your job search or if they know someone. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time and attention for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. Hey, are you a Mark Stucheski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter where I will send you value multiple times a week. And I promise you, every time I send an email out to my insiders, it always 
has value. So if you want to sign up absolutely free, just head on over to mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. 